Well, in his book on forgiveness, Miroslav Volf tells a story that is an account written by Ernest Hemingway. And Hemingway explains that in Madrid, one of the most common names is the name Paco. And one day, a man took out an ad in the local newspaper, and the ad just said this. It said, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. And what happened is, on Tuesday at noon, the Civil Guard had to be called because 800 young men named Paco showed up looking for their father to receive that forgiveness. The story is an illustration of how common the name Paco may have been at that time in Madrid, but more so, it's an illustration of our need for forgiveness. We need to be able to offer forgiveness, and we need to be able to receive forgiveness. And we sometimes like to look at the requirements of what it takes to live a Christian life all except for forgiveness, because forgiveness really is one of the hardest things that we're asked to do, and yet it is central. It's in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus is asked, how should I pray? He teaches this prayer, and in the middle of the prayer, he says, these are the words that you say. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And here Peter comes to Jesus and he asks him about forgiveness. It's an interesting question, actually. He, he doesn't say how to forgive, but he says, how many times do I need to forgive if somebody wrongs me multiple times? Do I need to forgive as many as seven times? I'm sure Peter was expecting the answer was going to be, no, five will be enough. But Jesus says, you must forgive 77 times. Other translations say 70 times seven times. The point, of course, is that if you're asking how many times you need to forgive, you don't get it. And the word, the number seven, in Jewish understanding, signifies completion. And so we're asked to forgive in a way that is full. We forgive period. But then Jesus goes and tells a parable that is actually quite challenging. There is a king and there is a servant. And we first learn that the king is going to be settling all of the debts, everything that, that is owed to him, he's going to collect at this time. Now the servant owes the king 10,000 talents. A talent is 6,000 denarii, and a denarii, one denarii, is a full day's worth of work for an average laborer. So 6,000 denarii times 10,000 equals one talent. No, I got that wrong. Anyway, it's a lot. <laughs> it is, amazingly, equal to the amount that Galilee had to pay in tribute to Rome over the course of 15 years. And this one servant supposedly owes the king that much, which shows you that the parable is about extremes. And an example of an extreme is when the king decides to forgive the debt. Well, this man has somebody who owes him as well. 
He goes to this man who only owes him a hundred denarii, which is three months' wages. It's still a lot of money. And when that man asks to be forgiven his debt because he cannot pay it right then, this person who had received such forgiveness doesn't pass it along. He refuses to forgive. Well, this gets back to the king, and the king takes back what he said about forgiveness, and it reverts back to a world of ungrace where debts cannot be forgiven and where this man is going to have to pay a horrible price. So it's confusing because when you hear this parable, the king almost sounds like two different kings, two completely different dispositions and on extreme ends. It's important to remember that in parables, sometimes we want to immediately assign whenever there's a king that that means God, but it doesn't. The king is the king of the parable, and the parable is about extremes. And you can actually understand this parable in a better way when you realize it is as if there are two kingdoms. One is the kingdom that is like this world where there is not grace. And the other kingdom is the kingdom of the true God, who we know is one who offers grace, one who forgives. And I think the most important thing about this parable is that the man, the servant, has volition in the matter. He gets a choice. Which king is he going to serve? Which kingdom is he going to choose to live in? And he makes his choice. And the result is the result. Just as it is for us when we choose which kingdom we are going to live in. I don't believe that God ever relishes the suffering of any of us. And yet, sometimes we make our choice freely and God sees the result. Now, forgiveness, like I said, is a difficult thing. I'll never forget one time years ago preaching a sermon about forgiveness and a woman came up to me after the service as we were shaking hands and, and I'll never forget the sad look in her eye when she looked at me and said, but I can't forgive. And then she went into the grievance with the member of her family and what had happened and she told me the story and again repeated, and so I cannot forgive. And I could see the longing in her to learn how to forgive. But it's hard to learn. It's hard to do. Because we have many misunderstandings about what forgiveness really means. I understand that the Buddhists have an expression when they talk about when we don't forgive, what that's like. Someone who doesn't forgive, according to the Buddhists, is like somebody who's holding hot burning coals, intending them for their enemy, and yet they're the ones holding them in their own hands. When we forgive, we are not forgetting. If you forgot, it wouldn't be forgiveness. There's nothing to forgive anymore because the memory would be gone. When you forgive, it's not a feeling, it's an action. What it is, it's about justice. But the justice that comes is not a justice that we can fully achieve. We hand that over. We know that there is somebody above us, and we trust that one. Forgiveness is not something that we have the power to do, but God 
has the power to do. And if we ever forgive, we are resting in God's power to forgive, always remembering that we have been forgiven ourselves. Forgiveness is not a feeling, but when you do forgive, a feeling often does result. Those burning coals will go away. A priest friend of mine who was serving at a church in Manhattan during the early 2000s tells a, a story about one of his Sunday mornings. Actually, it was a weekday morning in the middle of, or in the early part of September. And as he was walking to work that day, he was aware that it was the anniversary of September 11th. And as he typically did on his way to work, he stopped <clears throat> at a Starbucks that's right next to the church building. But this day was different. He walked into the shop, and one of the employees of the store quickly went over to the door and locked the door behind him. And then they turned all of the music off, and they silenced all of the coffee makers. And the crew chief that was working that day announced to everybody that they were going to take a minute and observe silence right at 8.47, the time when the first plane hit the building. He recounts the story about looking around and seeing the faces of people, many of whom he had seen many days over and over, but never stopped to notice them. People had tears coming down their cheeks. It was a holy moment of taking in the beauty and grace and preciousness of humanity. And interestingly, outside of the shop, it was a typical busy, bustling Manhattan morning. People were walking up and down on the sidewalks and some people were trying to figure out why the door to the Starbucks was locked and they were looking irritated and anxious. And he realized one of the gifts of that moment was it was a break in the chain. This is what forgiveness or grace is about. We make a break. We change the rhythm intentionally to bring light into a situation that is hard. Is what we do in liturgy this precious thing that we get to practice that we are now doing in a new way and, and getting back into some of our rhythms today. When we worship, we change the rhythm and we remind ourselves the difference between what is important and what is merely urgent. And so I pray that we will remember to be ones who break the chain, who practice love and grace and forgiveness, always remembering that we have been forgiven first. Amen.